It is Wednesday, March 1st, 2023. This is Messiah Matters number 421. That's what the music sounds like without the lyrics. My name is Caleb Hegg. We did that on purpose because we know you know the lyrics. We know That's the right. rap. So you could supply your own. It's like karaoke. Karaoke Messiah Matters. I'm Rob Bannoff. Right. That's right. We, we're trying to keep people on their toes. Let me bring you up here so I can actually see you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, there's Bobby in the chat room. Yeah. So our <laughs> why all the theater? Didn't we do that last Friday? We did. So you would not believe the amount of people who have contacted me that are pushing against a 66 book canon. I mean, isn't this just accepted Christian doctrine? Like, yeah. It's ridiculous. It, it's really bad. Anyway. All right. That's my rant for the day. Turn this music down a little bit. Uh, it's all grace till the huff goes off. Yeah, no doubt. All right. Uh, welcome to everyone in the chat room. It looks like, uh, yeah, it looks like we're having people trickle in a little bit. I've already put up our producers on the screen there. Thank you, everyone, to uh, who is a producer. Nice. I'm gonna give you some. Uh, I'm gonna give you the ability to different ways to get a hold of us so that uh, you can join the conversation if you're not in the chat room. Seheg at torresource.com, C-H-E-G-G at torresource.com. That is our email address. It looks like we're having some connection issues, just minor. Hopefully, they're going to go away here in the next few seconds, but I am aware of them. I apologize to everyone in the chat room for those connection issues. Caleb, what, what happened to your, your Caleb at Messiah Matters email? Yeah, I just haven't made the banner for it. You can get a hold of me uh, at uh, oh, Caleb oh. Messiah Matters if you want to. As laziness. Well. Is Lazy, that, that, is, that is absolutely true. Yes, it is laziness. Okay, you can also uh, shoot us a call, 253-465-3205, 253-465-3205. If you're looking for the music on that, don't worry. It's coming back sometime soon. You're just not going to know when it is. We're going to play it, and then everyone will be surprised. It'll be a glorious day when our little jingle comes back. We just don't want it to get old for everybody. Go to messiahmatters.com. Find all of our past episodes. You can also find things like the music with the lyrics if you want to hear it. You can also read the lyrics and know all the inside jokes that are going on in the chat room. And finally, last but not least, and probably the most important, this show is uh, produced by TorahResource.com. Go to TorahResource for all sorts of stuff, including uh, you can find uh, stuff on the Festival of Purim, which is coming up uh, next week. You can also find stuff on the Festival of Passover and the Counting of the Omer and Shavuot, which is uh, so quickly approaching. I don't know what we're going to do, um, but that is the uh, that's the case. That's what's going on. So... Without, oh yeah, and of course, don't forget to subscribe to this YouTube channel because, uh, yeah, then then you'd be awesome. Then you'd be one of the awesome people who subscribe to us. Okay, <laughs> Rob, what's going on, man? How's it going? It's going well. It's going well. I'm. I am. I'm happy. I'm grateful. Grateful As to God. Am I. Yes. For uh, life, for family, for friends, for work for the, our labor in the word of God. Oh, it's tough though, man. Like I shared, I, everybody shared Caleb a snapshot of an email and I know he gets it all the time, but you know, there's just like, basically I was told I was an idiot. And I think the um, actual word was go jump in a lake. Yeah. Go jump in a lake, which I don't. Okay. You know, I know what the words, I love swimming in the summer, but I don't know what that means. Like, what's the idiom? Like, I, okay. I'm like, <laughs> I, I love to do that. So is it like, I'm not sure. I'm not yes, sure sir, what I that means. Thank you very much. But uh, yeah, because, because I had, 
I'm blind because I believe that the New Testament is in Greek. Um, and when it's a, you know, what was the language of, you know, a Hebrew people in a Hebrew country uh, with Hebrew scriptures and, and Hebrew language. Uh, and it, it's like an attack, but it's like in the name of Jesus. So, oh, well, you know, it's like sprinkling religion yeah, the, on it. The, I'll tell you what, the uh, the naysayers have been out in force this week. Why accept the New Testament as canon? If you're going if you say it's written in Hebrew and we don't have Hebrew original. Because how do you know? Let's say let's say we found this Hebrew quote which we don't, but let's say there is one. How do you know it's the same books? That are, <laughs> like right? The 66 book canon includes the Tanakh and the Greek apostolic writings. Right. That's the, the so, but a person Ooh. is like drawing on that uh, to inform their faith, but then yet criticize it as not being original. So you just uh, you just brought up uh, something that is actually the first topic I want to get to. But before we do that, so we'll jump back into this in just a second. I want to tell you that I'm a fraud today. Now I'm not. I'm now Rob. You're gonna have to bear with me on this. Look at this. I'm not drinking out of a Messiah Matters cup today. Instead, Here. this is a cup that is not my cup, and you can see why. <laughs> World's greatest. Motor. You know what I like about that? What's because that? without vowels, that's yeah. a non-gender specific. It could be more or mora. Mora, right? Exactly. See, there's no. It's not gender specific. So way this, to, way this was a, wait, yeah, this was uh, given to my father. This is uh, my dad's cup given to my father in the Philippines when he taught there once. Okay, this is nice. uh, so let's go to Lois's question. Lois asked this I like question. like the Hebrew font on that. Okay, yes, exactly. We, uh, Lois uh, asked this question, uh, and it's directed towards me uh, about the you used just used the term apostolic writings or apostolic scriptures. This is what Lois says. She says, Caleb, okay. I've noticed you recently started referring to the Greek scriptures as the Second Testament rather than the apostolic writings like you used to do. Could you explain this change? I personally feel it leads back to the misunderstanding that uh, we were trying to avoid that the New Testament supersedes the Old Testament. Okay. Um, now, I have not I have not annexed the term apostolic scriptures or apostolic writings from my vocabulary. Uh, in fact, I use that predominantly. In fact, I, I think maybe Lois is referring to maybe two or perhaps three times that I have used First Testament, Second Testament. Uh, why am I uh, using that vocabulary? Well, I'm using that vocabulary because I've found that uh, good Christian scholars, specifically Dr. Daniel Block, writes that throughout his new book, the uh, just called Covenant, which I am not only uh, reading but have greatly enjoyed. Actually, uh, I shouldn't say that. I've put that book down for now. I got about 400 pages in, and uh, he referenced another book, which I then went and bought. And now I'm half. Yeah, it's like a footnote that's turned into a book. I I uh, now have read. I'm this reading is how that personal book libraries are are they grow through this. Nice. But uh, so I don't think so. Actually, in that book, in the book Covenant, uh, Doctor Block specifically says that he calls it First Testament, Second Testament, because uh, he is against the notion that the uh, New Testament is new and better than the 
Old Testament, which is old and not good. And so I, I, I like the fact that Dr. Block is on the same page. I'm sorry. Give me just a second. I'm trying to it seems it. that, correct me if I'm wrong, because I think, I mean, I have the same book. I loaned it to my nephew, though. He's studying theology right now. So technically, I don't have it presently, but I did spend some time with it. But Caleb, you've spent more time with Dr. Block's book, Covenant, than I have. Does he mean by testament, do you think, just like collection of books? Like, in other words, the first collection of books that was like, like you know, the Tanakh, and then the second kind of collection of books from the first century. And so he's kind of using testament that way, because he would, or does he mean testament, testament as like the Latin translation of, of, uh, which is, uh, translated like covenant yeah well i think that that's a good question i think that block i, I don't want to i don't want to speak for block i don't want to speak for block so i i'm not going to um i think we would have to ask him that so but you, to your knowledge he doesn't make that he doesn't have a clarifying comment or rationale not in, that in i remember footnote. but he okay. I, I, it's actually a rather long section in his um in his in his book and so i'd have to go back and read it to me, he does, personally, he there's does, a he logic. Does. If if you take like the first collection of the first collection of books, second collection of books. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and and that's because there's there's a time gap. You know, there there's right. there's a closure of the Tanakh, and then you know, but even in Jewish scholarship, they're like, when did the Tanakh close? You know, was it after the destruction of the Temple, the Council of Yavne? the rabbis and all this kind of stuff. Um, but in my view, the rabbis, anything that they come and they, they affirm, they're just codifying what is true in their world, what they have observably seen practiced throughout, you know, consistently. It's just, it's like taken for granted. Right. I think that there's people want to have this idea that there's actually a council of men, whether they're Jews, Jewish rabbis, or you know Christian bishops or whatever, that sit around and they go and look at each book and they just say in or out, right? And everybody votes and then they like, boom, right. and then they issue a decree, and then that decree then defines it for everybody. That's not how this happens. Exactly. That, that's that's not how it happens. Um, okay, so I'm sorry, but we keep going in and out of. Um... Let's see here. I wonder if I should change. I'm going to change internet. It's going to freeze everybody, everything for just a few seconds. Um, but hopefully it'll actually help our connection issues. Okay. Let's, let's try this. Okay. Sorry about that, everybody. Let's see if that helps. Uh, wow, you just shifted to a completely different internet. That's I pretty did. cool. But it's our... The dark or, web. Uh, are we? Are we? I. It, it's. We're still having trouble. Bringing light so. to the dark web. <laughs> it's pretty bad. Our our connection That's... issues have been pretty bad. I apologize to everyone, and I apologize to everyone for the uh, that is listening to this on a recording who's not getting the connection issues. Um, it is what it is, and I apologize. Okay, so um, let's. So I hope that that answers the question for Lois. And let's go to our second topic now. And that's what we're going to do. Um, Sarah writes and she says this. She says, but my question, now this is on a, uh, okay. 
we have to describe what kind of video this is on. This is on a video um, that we talk about uh, dispensationalism. And the interesting thing is, is that um, we've gotten so much pushback. There's been a lot of people who are dispensationalists who have said, no, 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 that's not what dispensationalism is. We've had a lot of people who uh, are saying, uh, well, okay, but what about? So I don't know where uh, Sarah falls on this. But what I can tell you is that uh, it seems like there is uh, some question about the place of, of um, the sacrifices. So, um, okay, hang on. Let me just tell the chat room. We're back. If you're not seeing it, refresh, refresh, refresh. If I could spell right, that would help. Okay. Um, so this is what Sarah says. She says, but my question is, why even bother with the animal sacrifices at all then? If they all, uh, if they all foreshadowed the point and pointed to Christ being the ultimate sacrifice, why not just have Christ's death from the start? Why the theater then? I'm legit asking because I'm not sure. All I know is that they had to make these animal sacrifices yearly to be right with God. Okay. And the Jews looked at the law to make them righteous. Hmm. And we'll come back to all of that. Um, because I'm not sure if I agree with that. And Paul had to correct the Jews after Christ's death, telling them not to return to their old ways. Okay. So it seems as though God did change directions during the church age. Yeah, I disagree with that. And in Matthew 24, he says... Uh, in the kingdom age, we will have to endure to the end, and that's future. I only believe it because it says it. Not saying it all makes sense, but I'm just trusting as it was written. Okay, so there's so much to unpack here. Uh, do you want to start, or would you like me to? Well, I'll, I'll give it a shot, and then um, go. Well, one one passage we can think if it's Sarah writing this. Yep. Did. It's there's no reason um, because she mentioned that it says something in the gospel, so she believes it. Let's just presume she accepts the canon, so she's probably not sure. going to say kick Hebrews out of the Bible or anything like that. The Epistle of Hebrews is super important, and he tells us plainly there that the blood of sacrifices never took away sin. Right. Exact. That's a very important point. And and that and that's that's a Jewish voice in the first century to other Jews and Gentiles who care and believe. It, that's a point that is made that we need to. It's kind of like one play. Okay, we can, that's there's we can put our foot there. And it's like well, okay, but then we have to ask this question: Is is that a critique of the Torah? Is the epistle is the author of the Epistle of Hebrews saying yeah? The Torah is suspicious on this front because the Torah gives you the impression, gives you a wrong impression. And the truth is never really did help. Or is he addressing pop, some popular streams of Jewish interpretation of the Torah in the first century that have been hijacked by various traditions of man and various other agendas? I think it's the second. I think the Epistle to Hebrews is teaching the true truth of the Torah to contemporary Jews and Gentiles to help them differentiate who Yeshua is um, from 
in, in terms of Jeremiah's promise of the Brihadasha and the Levitical priesthood. Um, so that so that's an important verse. So if if what he's saying is true for the Torah, as God intended us to understand it, then to me that that would be something for Sarah to consider. To say, oh, well, maybe, maybe I need to carefully read the Torah and remember this important uh instructive point, this differentiation, this this important discernment from the Epistle of Hebrews that says, when I'm reading about the animal sacrifices, there's something other. And she's almost there because she's saying they point to Yeshua. Um, but there's also a, a ceiling to our knowledge. It's just because God said, it, you know, why not, why not just, I mean, he's called the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So why not let that be it? Why even why even uh, choose Abraham then? Why not just save the world before the flood? Like why why the flood? Why that why expulsion from the garden? If we're going to do that, if if Yeshua is the 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 lamb slain from the foundation of the world, like where do we where do we draw the line? I mean, this is a question that my kids ask, and my son Ben has asked this question so many times. Did God know that they were going to sin? Yes. Well, then why did he even put that tree in the garden? Why didn't he just not put the tree in the garden? That's beautiful. And it's like, yeah, it's a great question. Beautiful and the question. Point, the point is, is that when they when they fall, God did put the, the tree in the garden because he wanted to show that we have choice. And that and and he wanted humans to choose him, right? And this comes back to faith. Well, I'm going to get to it. Now, there's going to be all sorts of... Anyway, once Adam and Eve fall, what happens? God gives a promise of the seed. This is in, in uh, Genesis 3. He says uh, that the seed would come and, and crush the head of the serpent. And so there's this promise of the seed. Now, God could have just had Christ right then come die right outside the garden and say, just believe that he, that was for your sin and it's all good. But that's not what he wanted. He wanted man to have faith. He wanted man to believe in the promise of God, in the promises of God. And so he makes the promise of the seed. The, the institution of the, of the sacrificial system is a pointing to it as a prophetic voice to the coming of the Messiah. And those who believe, as I do, that there will be animal sacrifices again at some point um, in, in a new temple. Now, I know that that is a fringe, even among uh, Torah-observant believers, uh, I think that that is becoming more and more of a fringe belief. I think a lot of people believe that, that there will not be sacrifices ever reinstated in the temple. Whether that, whether that is true or not, if there are sacrifices in, uh, reinstituted, it will be a pointing back to Christ, whether or not the Jews believe it or not, right? Um, and so it is a, a prophecy. Now, this leads then to the question of, uh, or to the statement that Sarah makes. She says, all I know is that they had to make these animal sacrifices yearly to be right with God. Now, this is true and it's not true. It is true in the sense that Israel as a nation had to make animal sacrifices to make the nation righteous before God again. But it was the individual it's faith. Not, it's, yeah, it's not a unique obligation. Uh, you know, offering sacrifices is not a unique obligation. I mean, there's, it, there's a whole uh, mosaic of obligations 
with respect to the covenant relationship and God's enduring protection over the land of Israel and of the people and provision for them, etc., from the Sabbath, right, to, you know, all the commandments. Um, so Kumi, Kumi, hang on just a sec, Kumi Ori Farm says in, in the chat room, Romans 5, 6, Messiah died at just the right time. And this is true. It, let's go to, to this. I'm reading out of the ESV. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So whether or not we think it was the right time, hmm. God believes that it was right, the right, right time because it was the right yeah, time. Exactly. And Galatians makes the same point, you know, the time, the time set by the father, right? Um, well, here's another point. Cain and Abel, they, they weren't offering sin. It wasn't a sacrifice for sin, but it was Abel offered a, a blood sacrifice. Cain did not. Abel's was accepted. Cain's was not. Um, and Yeshua called Abel righteous, the blood of righteous Abel, all the way down. So Yeshua is testifying to Abel's righteousness, uh, and and Abel offered a blood sacrifice post, well, this is the first recorded post-fall sacrifice, right? Genesis 4. That's right. Um, and so there's... I would just encourage Sarah, thank you for the email. I think it's great uh, that I would theater. I, I understand why you said theater. Um, to me, it's uh, theater is a difficult word. I don't know. I, you might find a better word because it could, it could give the, the sense that, that it's theatrics. That is it's quote for show. And, and that's not the case. God wants the heart. God wants the whole, right? That Yeshua says, clean the inside of the cup and the outside will take care of it. Um, now, I would agree that it had be, at times it had become theater, like Isaiah chapter one. They're, they're offering sacrifices, et cetera, but their hearts are far from God. And so he's not interested in theater. So if we, if we use the term theater, and this touches also, ironically, maybe on the word hypocrisy, the hypocrites is also a term taken from theater, from Greek theater, like people performing and pretending to be something they're not for the sake of some sort of, to give an impression of something else. So God and wouldn't it, call it theater, so although the, the, the prophets would call it theater when it's heartless. So I right. just a little footnote there. That's a very important part, point. First, let's go to the chat room, which, by the way, is on fire today. Tanner, yeah, uh, yeah they are. Tanner brings up, he says, uh, God tells us the reason that he waited in Romans 9, 22 through 23. What if God desiring to show his wrath and yeah. to make known his power has endured yep. with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory... For vessels Amen. of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for it. glory. It is his glory, right? Hallelujah. That, that's right. It's the it's his glory is the reason that he did this, is to manifest his glory to those whom he has saved. So uh what I but, love thank you, Tanner. That's an awesome verse. What I love about what Paul does there, he's he doesn't even Paul doesn't even say that's for sure it. He says, but you don't even know. It could be that. It could yeah. be this. It's like Paul's still, he's like, look. We can't judge God. That's where Paul puts the he's like any voice of like someone saying, "God is unjust." He's like, dude, yeah, 
Not a chance. So let's go. Hang on. I'm trying God, to get back God to God allowed sin to become exceedingly sinful, right? So, so that it would, its own evil, dark fruit would be fully exposed for all to see. That's so. Rob's point about it being about the heart is, is it, it ha- cannot be stressed enough. When she says, uh, uh, all I know is that they had to make these animal sacrifices yearly to be right with God. An individual was not right by right with God, and we see this in Isaiah and the rest of the prophets, by the way. But an uh, individual was not right with God because they brought a sacrifice or they made a sacrifice. And we see this with Cain and Abel as well. Why was the individual uh, right with God? They were right with God because of the contrite heart. That's the point. Yeah, so I it, made this it, point in, in the article that uh, I, that's on your pronomian uh, blog is if you look at the text of Genesis four, he says, and God looked to Abel and to his sacrifice, right? It lists the person. He looks at the person and then he looks at what they did. And then he, and, and God doesn't just look at what they did. He looks at the person and that person, in my opinion, represents God's looking at the, he's, he's evaluating the heart. He, he sees like Yeshua teaches us to pray. He says, your father sees in secret. You know, you can't, right. other people can't, you know, one human can't look and see the secret thoughts of another human, but those things back to the epistle of Hebrews, we are all, you know, all things are open and naked before him with whom we have to do. It says in Hebrews four. So uh, this actually could be a crossover, uh, an arc episode, because uh, what she says next is is interesting on multiple levels. She says that uh, the yearly sacrifices were to make people right with God, and the Jews looked at the law to make them righteous. So this is way too big of a of a uh, conversation to have just in one show. <laughs> Pardon me, but. In the 1970s, E.P. Sanders came out with a new theory, and that theory was known as the uh, New Perspective on Paul. The New Perspective on Paul has many facets and has gone in a multiple multitude of directions in uh, modern-day the- theology. And N.T. Wright has take, taken up that torch. Uh, 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 Jimmy Dunn has as well. Um, there's, there's a number of scholars that have, have talked about the New Perspective on Paul. And what is the New Perspective on Paul? Well, one of the aspects, and I say one of the aspects because if you watch videos like uh, R.C. Sproul, R.C. Sproul uh, says, if anyone says the word new perspective on Paul, run. But then when he describes what he believes the new perspective on Paul is, it is very different from how I've understood the new perspective on Paul. And so when I say that there's many different aspects of this, uh, we can't just say this is the new perspective on Paul. But one of the elements of the new perspective on Paul is something that I think scholarship has started to turn towards and believe. And that is this that the Jews did not believe that their righteousness came through keeping the law, but rather that their, their righteousness, and I, I, by the way, through the work that I've done, I fully believe this, um, that the, the first century Jew in particular believed that they were in because of their bloodline. In other words, God chose the, the people, the descendants of Jacob, bloodline now, and they're chosen. So if my child is born... And I, let's say I have a son, guess what? Eighth day I circumcise him, he's in. He's born of the bloodline, he's in. There, he doesn't have to keep the Torah to become in. Now, there are certain things that he could do that would take him out of being the covenant people of God. But if a Gentile, and, and now this, now people are going to see how uh, a lot of our the, like theological discussions about conversion really tie into all this. 
But if a Gentile wanted to become part of the chosen people of God, what did they have to do? They had to become Jewish. And Josephus talks about this. He talks about someone becoming of the bloodline of the Jews. So it wasn't, and they, and how do they, what's the shorthand for this process? What, what is the word that is the shorthand for this process? Circumcision. And so when Paul continues to talk about circumcision, oftentimes he's not talking about the physical act of circumcision. What he's talking about is becoming a Jew. Circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing. But what matters is keeping the commandments. So ultimately, the point here is that uh, when she says the Jews, the Jews looked at the law to make them righteous. I don't believe that. I think that the Jews believed they were righteous because they, of their blood. And so once again, I, I understand what she means by this. And yeah, I think that there is some of the, this is not to say that there wasn't an idea of works-based salvation at some point in the first century. Well, I mean, it's, we have to recognize there's multiple factions, right? There's multiple philosophies or sects in the first century. Um, But the Pharisees are quite happy with their additional rules and laws because they see that this this is this shows their dedication to God, their zeal, and that they're separate from. The we're better than you, other because we're, yeah, we're we're better uh, than you because our do, payout are, is this long. But we do see, like the the rich young ruler, it says, comes and talks to Yeshua. What must I do to be saved? Right, and the idea is like he's he's his mindset is there's something more to life than what I am presently doing that I think right. about religion and Yeshua looks like a guy who might be able to help me. But the problem is he's, he's, it's kind of like in the end, we know he's kind of like a camel who's, who's asking how to get through this needle hole. And Yeshua says, Yeshua puts his finger right on. He says, okay, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor and follow me. And he's like, I can't do that. Right. And that's that, that's, that's the camel, right? He, he wants to hold, he, he doesn't want to be transformed by Yeshua. Right. He wants to have everything he already has. And he His wants to add one little spice. Just give me the secret sauce. So possessions Jesus are more can, important at that point to the him. The Jesus sauce. There you yeah. go. Like, can, there you go. just give it to me and I'll just sprinkle it on my life. And then I'll have everlasting life. I don't want to be transformed. I don't want to lose my nephesh to follow you. So that I could be rebuilt by you, you know, and that's the sad thing, you know, and that's people get satisfied with worldly things, you know, they get satisfied with things of the world. And then they, they have this thought of religion and they want to sprinkle religion on top of it. um, And then imagine that somehow they're right with God. So if that's what Sarah's getting at, I think that's going to be, we're going to find that not only in Judaism, but in ancient paganism. They did that, right? That's why you see the pagans who had their little idols and their little incantations with all their little deities. And then they learned of the God of Israel and they add, they just add it to the pantheon. You know, hey, the Jews have their thing. Let's just add that. You know, there's probably something good in there, you know, and they just keep building like a Tower of Babel kind of thing. You know, they just keep adding, uh, but they're not renewed. They're not, uh, you know, they're not made new. So, Sarah, this final statement that I'll look at, and Paul had to correct the Jews after Christ's death, telling them not to return to their old ways. Well, I tend to agree with this, but what well, was he but correcting? But that's just the message of the prophets. 
Right. And yeah, I don't think the, that this had I don't think that this had to do with Torah observance. It didn't have to do with the sacrifices. It didn't have to do with any of that. What it had to do with was this notion that they can that that their bloodline saves them and that they're in and they're righteous and they're good. No, they needed to re, they needed to turn from their ways and come to repentance. Exactly. But people that's had the, that's the this prophet. Is, this is part of the re- reformed theology and even though I am not fully on board with covenant theology, it is part of covenant theology as well and that is that God has always saved people the exact same way through all generations. I fully agree with that. That nothing changed in terms of how God saves someone. Abraham is the model in in Galatians 3, he is the model for salvation by faith. Right, he yep. believed God; it was reckoned to him as, as righteousness before he did the act of circumcision. So it's not by works that you're saved, but by faith in God, believing what He has said is true. So, therefore, Abraham was saved by faith. We are saved by faith. David was saved by faith. Moses was saved by faith. Right? We're all saved by faith. That's the point. And this doesn't have anything to do with a different age or a different way that God is saving people or anything like that, or that that the Torah laws have been changed or anything like that. That's not the old ways that Paul is saying you need to turn from. What he is saying is turn from the, the wickedness of your heart. Turn to faith in Christ. Have a soft heart. Renew in me a right heart, O Lord. This is what Paul is telling the Jews to do, right? And he and we see this once again. Let's go back to that exact same verse that I already quoted. Circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing. But what matters is keeping the commandments. How can he say that? That's the point. Okay, we have more in, in, along the lines of um, dispensational thought, but it is ten oh five on my clock. It's and sorry to those who are. Uh, not watching this live, but it is 10.05 on my clock, which means we're going to move. We're going to move to a new segment that we're going to do. Maybe For once which a month. we need a jingle. We do need a jingle. So uh, chat room and everyone else starts, uh, start tickling those we old need, ivories. Right, and, right, and, right. And send a jingle us and a name. We, do we know what we're calling it? We don't know what we, yeah, th- this segment needs a name as well. We'll probably do it about once a month. That is a, a guess. Don't quote me on that if we don't do it every month. But we will, uh, we will try to get to it about once every month or so. And that is that we are going to be reviewing hymns and or worship music from all different eras, um, including and mainly hymns, but we could even get into uh, modern day Christian music like Bethel worship and, and yeah. worship music and stuff I, like that. I, I should add, Caleb, Caleb and I are both trained music. We're both professionals. <laughs> no, we're, no we, are, we are trained. We have both studied formally Yes. And performed extensively music. Yes. So, um, and made money so, doing it. And so we're not, uh, we, we, we are coming now that doesn't say that we have a lot to observe on the lyricism of, of words. I am but, not a lyricist. That is for sure. But I, I just want to say, I grew up at a church that had a beautiful, uh, an organist who played beautifully. And it was just like, to me, it was like heavy metal. It was like boom when she'd hit the bass notes, and oh yeah, you can feel we it. Had, we had the four part. Everything was these old Lutheran hymns, you know, the old Lutheran hymnal. So it's all four parts. It's interesting, you know. It's interesting bum, you bring bum, that up because bum. when I met my wife, she had been uh, assigned a project at school where she had to go to a church, and she went to a church in Seattle on Capitol Hill. Now, if anyone knows anything about Seattle yeah. and knows anything about Capitol Hill, a little on Cap- the left. Oh. Pfft. Capitol Hill is the most 
I mean, it is literally the most wackadoo liberal I've ever, ever seen. Even more so than like San Francisco. It's, it's And it's where the Chaz was. It's where the the, the autonomous zone was. That's Capitol right. Hill, the Chaz. Yeah, there you go. The Chaz, yes. Um, um, and so she was. She had gone, this was long before all that, but she had gone to a church in on Capitol Hill. And that, uh, that church on Capitol Hill is a very, very well-known cathedral called St. Mark's Cathedral. It is an Episcopal church, and they have uh, a... Now, I'm going to just let everyone know, and I, I will try to be very sensitive for the young ears here, but uh, St. Mark's Cathedral is LGBTQ affirming, so much so that their uh, all-men's choir uh, is... Uh, sprinkled with uh, men of odd persuasion. I'm just trying to be as as careful as possible here. Um, so that'll give you an idea of how how liberal this church is. However, uh, when I first met my wife and started dating her, uh, we went up to the uh, Compline service, which is uh, it, it it literally is world renowned. You can listen to it on the radio uh, every Sunday night. Uh, their all men's choir is has one all sorts of uh, uh, choir uh, awards and whatnot. They've toured Europe and all sorts of stuff. But the reason I bring all this up is because they have an organ that goes from the ground all the way up this. I mean, it's it's probably three stories tall. It's, it, it I is, think the top literally touches heaven. It's unbelievable. It it's really is. No. It's, it's very unbelievable. It's sad that they're so liberal. Anyway. Um, so yes, I, I know what you're talking about. Having that organ hit is like, yeah. All right. What hymn are we doing this week? We would play intro music and have the name of our uh, segment, uh, right now, but obviously we don't have any of that. So we need people to work on that. Um, the hymn that we're going to be reviewing this week, Onward Christian Soldier, a request from our very own Rob Van Hoff himself. Um, do you want to go first or would you like me to? Um, you want to do history first? Let's do the history. Well, yeah, yeah, go ahead. I found a great article uh, by reasonabletheology.org, uh, and they have, I'm going to read uh, maybe three paragraphs of this. Uh, it says, in Yorkshire, England, where Dr. Baring Gould was stationed as curate of Horbury, by the way, uh, this link will be in your show notes uh, for those who receive them. It is the custom to observe Whitman Day. Now, I had to look up Whitman Day because I was unaware of what it is. It is the day after Pentecost, and it is the day when the church goes back to a normal calendar. And what I think that means is that there is no more Lent. There is no more. They're not building up to, to Easter anymore. They're not. It's uh, the end of the spring feasts. Yeah, exactly. And so uh, uh, that's what Whitman Day is. And For apparently, the beginning of the, yeah. According too. And, and I don't know how reliable this is, but uh, I did find a Wikipedia. Now, I, I know, I know. I try not to reference Caleb. Wikipedia. I know. <laughs> but it is. But they say in this, and I don't know how accurate this is, it says, it is the memorial of the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of the Church, marking the re resumption of ordinary time. That's what the Wikipedia article says. That's as much of the Wikipedia article as I'm going to read, because you know why. Okay, so... Uh, it, it is the custom, it is the custom, rather, sorry about all of that, 
Uh, it is the custom to observe Whitman Day as the day of festival for the school children. In 1865, his school was invited to march to a neighboring village there to join the children of another school in the festival exercises. As he could not find a suitable hymn for the children to sing while marching from one village to another, he sat up late into the night to compose a hymn, and out of those midnight hours came the lines, Onward Christian Soldiers, to which the children marched toward their festival and to which hundreds of thousands of Christians have marched in the decades since it was written. Uh, quote, with the cross of Jesus going on before, refers to the cross borne at the head of the procession, while the many banners following it are pictured in the line, quote, see his banners go. It was published in the church times in 1865. Now, the uh, the actual um, the actual uh, uh, tune uh, came much later. So it, 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 the tune was not written by Dr. Baron Gould. That was written later by someone else. Um, and I think that is the tune. It says Arthur, Arthur Sullivan. Arthur Sullivan. Sir Arthur Sullivan. In 1871. Um, so four, five years later, six years right. later. Right. So he wrote the lyrics. They had some different tune. And then this uh, tune was, was uh, given later. So that's the history of the hymn. Okay. Rob, would you like to go now? Um, well, since everybody can go and look, I, I did look at like... Wesleyan hymnal to see, and there are some, there are some like modernizations of it, but I like the, the bearing gold straightforward. Yeah. Um, the, the, the reason I want to talk about this is because this is like this imagery of the church as a, as um, warriors ready for battle, like warriors. Yeah. yeah like sol soldiers in battle. And this actually reflects the wilderness journey, right? The journey of the wilderness is it's Israel is defined primarily one of the featured points in the Torah, particularly book of numbers is those who, the men who are registered for battle, right? Those are the ones who are being accounted from each tribe. We're told about the procession of, you know, when the cloud would lift up and move and, you know, and then, so all the sons of Aaron and the, or all the Levites rather, and their different clans would break down and the, the tabernacle and cover the holy things. And then it would be transported and you have, then it would be reset up again. And then the, the tribes would again, protect the holy uh, tabernacle, et cetera. So I like that. Um, but because we're not going to go through the whole uh, hymn. It's not that, well, I, hang on. It's not that long. Let's, let's, let's read some of these lyrics. Uh, okay, go ahead. Verse one, onward Christian soldier marching as to war. With the cross of Jesus going on before Christ, the royal master leads against the foe. Forward into battle, see his banner go. The refrain, or also known as the chorus, right. uh, is onward Christian soldier marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. It's the line one, yeah, it's also the refrain, yeah. At the sign, uh, at the sign of triumph, Satan's hosts doth flee. On then Christian okay, so shoulders, the, that's on the to victory. Oh, is it? Yeah, that's I, a newer. Oh, that's a newer. Please then inform me because I couldn't find so the, the difference. The, the verse two. So there's yeah. There's they replace verse two in the original is like a mighty army moves okay. the church of God. So the ecclesia is an army. Brothers, we are treading where saints have trod. I love that line. We are not divided. So we are not is, divided. All one body. We one in hope and doctrine. One in charity. Of course, that's so that's drawing from scripture. So this is this is what they are calling uh, in the version that I am reading. It says that that is uh, the third verse, right? Now the third, the, the third in the original is crowns and thrones may perish. 
kingdoms rise and wane, but the church of Jesus constant will remain. Gates of hell can never against the church prevail. We have Christ's own promise, and that cannot fail. So I, I love the theology. I, I think of this as a, it's like, again, it's like Christian midrash. It's right. it's it's drawing on scripture to to make a point. Onward then, so the fourth stanza, onward then ye people, join our happy throng, blend with yours, blend with ours, your voices in the triumph song. Glory, laud, and honor unto Christ the King. This through countless ages, men and angels sing. I'm like, man, this guy had skill. Yeah. So actually, there's a great uh, there's a great little story that uh, somebody that I read this morning on this, and uh, this guy is a, a Baptist, uh, no, a Presbyterian. He's a Presbyterian, and and uh, they have a a winter home that they go to, and at the winter home when they're there, there's a Methodist church that is close to them. So he hated this song. And, uh, and they never sang it at their church. But then he went to this Methodist church, and they sang this song. And he was belaboring it before they sang. <laughs> and then it says, blend our voices, uh, blend with ours, your voices in the triumph song. And he realized that this group of, say, 40 Methodists and two Presbyterians were able to one in hope and doctrine, one in charity. Was that the? Uh, that's the uh, other version. Uh, yeah. Oh no, that's yeah. That, that's, no, that, the, that's. I'm sorry. That's, that's in the verse end of the second the verse, right? Yeah. One in hope and doctrine, one in charity. That's where he uh, said he started almost crying because his uh, because he realized that uh, even though they had differences in in minor doctrines, they were still able to call themselves uh, one in the uh, in the army of God, and that they were all marching for for Christ. I thought that was beautiful. I thought that was absolutely right. You know, and it's a I good might... reminder for us to remember. I mean, we're called to prioritize the things of the kingdom, right? And everything, right? Right? Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all things. You know, and everything. All these other things will be added unto you. Um, therefore, we're obligated, and we're commanded, and we're you know mandated to frame our world in terms of. God's kingdom and his purposes. Right. And, and from that viewpoint, um, I think the metaphor of, of the battle, which is taken right for, doesn't it, is it second Timothy? They is the main scripture here. Uh, but the, he's drawing on Paul clearly. Um, so the, as to war, like a mighty army, you know, uh, and then the fact that the unity with saints that have gone prior, you know, we are treading where saints have trod. I like that. Well, the, it, I mean, not to uh, beat the dead horse with a stick here, but, you know, this reminds me a little bit of whether or not you think that there is a revival going on at Asbury right now or not. Uh, what this what this brings my mind to is the fact that you have Christians of all different denominations going to a place uh, to worship the Lord. Whether or not it's a revival or not, that's neither here nor there. My simple point is, is that we have... Uh, you know, all different denominations now that are coming to one place to uh, see what is happening, to worship the Lord together. And to me, that is a beautiful thing, whether or not, um, whether or not it's a real revival or not. We, we, we can find unity in the, fa in, in the foundational issues of the faith, right? This has been our conversation, I think, for the past two or three weeks now, as we've continued to circle back to the notion of, of uh, Torah-observant believers going to a Sunday church, and, ha and boy, the, uh, the pushback emails from that have been uh, 
almost overwhelming. There's been a lot of them of people just cannot believe that any Torah observant believer would, would go to a church. Um, and I understand that. I understand people's, uh, a Sunday church that is, I understand why people might think that, but you know, we've pushed against that. And, uh, so I see this hymn as being, you know, those points, you know, I've, we've said it many times on this show, but the idea of, uh, there's Christian unity and persecution, right? All of a sudden the theological, uh, the theological differences, melt away when true persecution is happening and people are fighting for their lives. You know, when you're hiding people under your floorboards, you don't care if they're a Methodist or a Baptist or whatever they may be, right? Um, And so I see this kind of, uh, these lines about uh, uh, the unity of the body of Christ as being very uh, uplifting and, and helpful in that respect. Anything else on this hymn before we uh, before we close the segment, Rob? Oh, just the emphasis at the, the very end that our confidence is is because Messiah promised it. Right. Yeah. He said, he said it. So it's like, it's not, um, it's not something I have to like try to make happen. I mean, it's just relying on him, right. Relying and trusting on his word. And right. I, I like that the, the hymn uh, emphasizes that too at the end. So let's tick off a couple of boxes here. Uh, theologically sound. I would say, yes. I think so. I th- yeah. yeah. I think yeah. that this, I think that this hymn is theologically sound. Should, uh, Christians, uh, I'd be singing it. Believers be, be singing it. Sure. I would say I yes. Think so I think yes. Um, some might not like, I actually, the biggest, uh, disagreement that I've had with, uh, that I found with this hymn online are Christians saying that they don't like the beat and the way that it drones on. Um, so, I understand that there are a lot of uh, Christian songs that I really just can't stand in terms of of like their flavor of of song. But uh, with that said, I think that this hymn is a thumbs up, two thumbs up from me, and uh, yeah, I think two thumbs up from Rob as well. All right, yeah, let's move on. Um, okay. We're going to go to Seth. Seth says this. So when you have questions about doctrine, don't ask about them. Or By the way, this is a sarcastic comment, I believe. So when you have questions about doctrine, and this goes back to our video that just was released recently on um, how to know when to listen to teachers and how to know when not to. Seth says, so when you have questions about doctrine, don't ask about them or you are a heretic, and the Messianic translations have nothing to add. Got it. Okay, so this is a multi-leveled uh, attempt at a dig at us. Uh, <laughs> number number one, like because... It. Yeah, I like it too. Number one, because uh, we have basically said that there is really nothing that can be uh, gleaned from quote-unquote Messianic translations of the Bible, except for maybe... Now, I'll give, I'll give the Tree of Life version... Um, some accolades here. We've highlighted how there are uh, things specifically in the the Tree of Life version that we do not like. However, I will say this. It was uh, translated by a committee. There are people on the committee that are uh, legit uh, language scholars like Dr. Michael Brown, and they have gotten some things absolutely right. For instance, the places in Hebrews where the word covenant is supplied by almost every translation that you'll ever get, the Tree of Life version uh, does not insert that. So there are good things oh. about the Tree of Life version. Um, with that said, and maybe the Tree of Life version is the exception, I would say, yeah, there are no Messianic translations that I trust. And the reason why is because almost always there are either ripoffs of other translations with sacred names added to those translations yeah. 
or they're trans quote unquote translated by a single person. And uh, that is always going to run you into trouble because people have theological bias. And so a translation will reflect that theological bias. And oftentimes within the Messianic and Hebrew roots movement, those theological biases are incorrect. Um, so yeah, I don't think that there are any Messianic translations, uh, save maybe the tree of life version that are, that I would trust. When it comes to uh, this first part of the question, then I'm going to kick this over to you, Rob. Uh, it says, when you have questions about doctrine, don't ask about them or you are a heretic. Now, this is a reference, I think, to us uh, speaking specifically about the 66 book canon. I have no problem with uh, questions and I have no problem with people actually pushing Yeah, I'm confused. That's why I'm confused by that one. Like we've, do, we, I mean, the vast hours of recordings of our show, we've talked about heretical ideas. So am I missing... I think that our our staunch, uh, we've said find the the theological foundations. Now, when I say find the 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 theological foundations and then compare teachers to that, I struggled with the Trinity. I think that that throughout our shows, I think that can be seen. That uh, for a while, I was questioning and, and, and trying to study and understand the various arguments on the Trinity and why people would believe such a thing and why this was such a big issue in the church and how it got settled, all these kind of things. Uh, a 66 book canon was another one. There's a, so as I, you know, as I came to faith and was uh, starting to solidify what those foundational issues for me were, I had to test those. And I'm not saying other people shouldn't. If you have different foundational issues than I do, that is up to you and between you and the Lord. Now, that might mean that I'm probably not going to fellowship with you. If you're going to deny the deity of Christ, okay, well, that's a foundational issue for me. I, I'm probably not going to fellowship with you on a regular basis if that is the case. If you believe that there is an expanded canon, if you believe in, you know, 70 books instead of 66 books, well, then we're going to have problems because how are we going to agree on doctrine? We're not going to be able to. So there are things that matter when it comes to community. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't question those things and that you shouldn't push against those things so that you can affirm what your foundational doctrine is. But those are the things that we should do as believers as the very first thing. If you haven't established what your foundational doctrines are and you haven't really pushed against them and see if they break in certain places and bolstered them where you need to bolster them through study and, and understanding, then you've got work to do. Go yeah, do your you, work. And you shouldn't be teaching. Exactly. You shouldn't be teaching. Yeah, yeah. Uh, agreed. If you want to if you want to believe that the book of Enoch is uh is canonical, that's fine. But you're outside of the uh same uh, faith community that I am, because that's not the... Now, does that mean that we believe in a different God? No, not necessarily. Does it mean that you're not saved? No, not necessarily. What it does mean is that I'm not going to be able to find uh, enough agreement with you to sit and listen to you teach. That's for sure. That's number one. But second of all, that being in well, community... Well, you could learn a uh, Ge'ez or Ethiopic and go to an Ethiopic church. I mean, if you, you want, go. if you want, if your answer is, well, the Ethiopic church has the book of Enoch, well, maybe go there for a while, you know, <laughs> learn, learn. I mean, that's, that would make, that would make sense to me. That would at least be coherent. You know, I think the book of Enoch should be in scripture. Well, oh, because the Ethiopic church has it or whatever. So okay, unashamed, well, we'll unashamed, unashamed, 
Unashamed of Jesus brings up a great question. Is the Sabbath a foundational issue? I would say that I think that the Sabbath actually is a foundational issue. Absolutely. And I, th- I think that that's going to be surprising to a lot of people because I think <laughs> what many people think, I believe, is that it's not a, fo- a foundational issue. And so we should just, uh, you know, kind of just go with whoever says that it is or isn't. It doesn't really matter. We don't, we don't care. That is not, that is not my position. I think that the Sabbath is a foundational issue. However, the one thing that I would say is I think different groups understand the application of the Sabbath differently. So for instance, I believe that there are churches that are Sabbatarian, like the church that I attend. I attend a Sabbatarian church. However, they believe that the Sabbath is on Sunday. Now, is that right or wrong? I believe it's wrong. I don't believe that they're correct in that. However, with that said, they are Sabbatarians. And so they believe that there is a value to the Sabbath. And a, to, there's a commandment. Yeah, that it's a commandment and that there but but I think that their application is is incorrect. Is misinformed. They, yeah, they, they're misinformed. And so I can give them leniency in a misunderstanding of, of what I believe to be a misunderstanding of scripture and perhaps some inherited bad theology as opposed to someone who says you shouldn't be keeping the, the, the Sabbath. Yeah, that's a different deal all of a sudden. If somebody says you're sinning, if you keep the Sabbath, I don't, I don't think I could fellowship with somebody like that. Cause that shows a, a, a complete different understanding of God's covenants and his laws than what I have. So it, it our the choice of community for us was not just a, Hey, let's just, pull a pull on a, a stick and whatever stick we get that's what church we're going to there's been a lot of of prayerful uh consideration that has gone into uh to the the wonderful absolutely wonderful believers that we fellowship with and i and i say that sincerely we are uh anytime i think to myself man are the theological differences too large i go back to the fact that the people that we fellowship with are beloved brothers and sisters in the lord absolutely beloved brothers and sisters in the Lord. And we, and we do love them. They're, they're amazing. So, okay. Uh, I think we're going to leave it there for now. We will be back next week. Now, uh, Rob has said that, uh, we're not, he's not going to be around on the 29th of March. I think that's going to be the next day that we take off. Um, which is, that's that morning. I believe that's going to be so that the spring SBL is virtual this year and it's that week. And I have a, I have a paper that was accepted. That I'll can't be wait. Given. It's yeah. We can't wait for the rundown. So that'll be the next time that we take off. So we will be here next week. If you have any um, thing that you'd like us to talk about, let's bring this up. Chagatorresource.com. Chagatorresource.com. You can also shoot emails to Caleb at MessiahMatters.com. 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. Um, and please subscribe to this YouTube channel. It really does help us. Okay, I'm going to say that that's it. We hope that this conversation has done at least one thing. That is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Why? You know why. Because Messiah matters. Messiah matters. <laughs>